Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo. Today we're talking franchises. That's right. You guys asked me for this. We've had on a couple of guests who are franchise brokers in the past. Now I want to share with you the nuts and bolts of franchising because if you're if you're buying a franchise, you have one perception of what franchising is. But if you're a franchisor, let's say you want to franchise your product, your service, it's a whole different ball game. I know I've been through it. My wife has been through it. And once we went through that process, we had a renewed appreciation for the attorneys who do the work. I want you to have that same appreciation because franchising can be one of the most valuable ways to expand your brand, but you don't want to make several of the key mistakes that a lot of people make. So today I'm bringing you a franchising expert. Now, I can say she's an expert because I'm not a member of the bar. She's an attorney, and her focus area is on franchise law. Her name is Laura Liss. Laura, welcome to the Inside BS Show. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. Well, it is absolutely my pleasure. So, Laura, we always start off asking the folks who are on the show how they got into what they're doing in the first place. And I have a feeling I know, but I want you to tell us the story. How did you get into (laughs) practicing franchise law? Right. So growing up, uh, both my parents are attorneys, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll be an attorney. Uh, And so I went to law school, and I knew going in that I, um, there were certain types of law I didn't want to do, right? I didn't want to do divorces. I didn't want to do bankruptcy. And those are very valid paths that everybody might need someday, uh, but they weren't for me. And I knew I wanted to work with businesses. Um, Coming out of law school, it was uh, still very recession-y out there. And, you know, I kind of ended up being self-employed and I had a really great mentor uh, in my father, who is also a business and franchise attorney based in Chicago. Um, And I was in Denver at that point. I'd gone to law school out in Denver, was living out there. Um, But he was a great uh, source of, you know, learning and mentorship and still is. So that is a little bit about how I got into it. Probably what you were expecting. That's um, it's exactly I what I was expecting. You know, so it's so funny. I I tease people all the time when they come on the show, and I say, you know, were you like a little baby, like bankers? Were you a little baby banker loaning money to your brothers and sisters? <laughs> I have a feeling around your house, you really were trying to figure out a way to license and franchise stuff to other people. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I don't know if we were trying to find ways to license, but we've always been uh, very brand conscious okay like so because we work with our clients brands right we we know you know this is your brand this is not brand you know even on like the grocery list or something growing up you know with my dad he would write you know kleenex you know not just you know and he means it like he wants you to come home with kleenex products yeah so the thing that gets it for me like the story about uh powerful brands from when i was a kid so my mom uh, was a was a big like coupon clipper and yeah. occasionally so we, and we used to eat a lot of cookies in my house and occasionally <laughs> she would go buy like the Hydrox cookies which are the faux Oreos so oh. she would bring those home and they would just they would pile up on the shelf in the pantry <laughs> nobody in the house would eat the Hydrox and then she would come home with Oreos they would go in ten minutes. There's, there's a big difference. So get me the Oreos, not the Hydrox. I totally, I totally get being brand conscious. Explain to us, Laura, please give us the definition of a franchise because people use that term loosely. Give us the real definition for what a franchise is. 
Yeah, happy to. Um, and I think it's a really important opportunity because a lot of people don't realize how broad uh, what a franchise is. So it's, it's basically three things. Okay, um, You're licensing a brand. It doesn't have to be a registered trademark, but it commonly is because that's a way to protect the brand. You're training or, you know, telling them how to do something, right? What to do, what not to do. And the person is paying you for that, okay? Um, Typically more than like $600, uh, which, you know, in today's economy is really not that much money. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, if you think about that, there are a lot of relationships, um, a lot of ways that people find themselves in franchising uh, almost accidentally, right? You know, we have a ton of clients who they're like, oh, well, you know, I had a great restaurant and, um, you know, my, uh, my brother, um, you know, he, he knows what to do. And so he's going to open the next location, you know, a few towns over, right? And yeah, he's, he's going to kick up, you know, 10% of the profits to me and he's going to use the brand and, you know, he's going to use the recipes, and I, I kind of look at you and I smile and I say, well, that's great. You know, congratulations. You just made a franchise. And now it's time for another Sandrowski Business Minute. With us today is Catherine Raker, the tax expert from Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. Okay, Catherine, do I need to pay self-employment tax? If you have net earnings of greater than $400 on income from self-employment, then yes, you should be paying self-employment tax. Self-employment tax consists of Social Security tax and Medicare tax. When you're employed by an employer, pays half of those taxes for you. When you're self-employed, you have to pay both pieces, so the whole amount is paid by you. Now, normally, an employer would take that as a deduction on their tax return. As a self-employed individual, you'll take that, your half, as a deduction above the line is what they call it. But yes, you should be paying self-employment tax on net earnings greater than $400. You heard it here, folks. Earnings greater than $400, you got to pay the tax. Catherine Raker from Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, thank you for today's Sandrowski Business Minute. Now, explain to folks when you say, okay, you, great, you just made a franchise. So somebody's going to hear this and they're going to run off and go, hey, I'm going to franchise my business concept. Explain about the you know regulation. I think what we should do is we should start with why there's regulation in the first place because I'm a very uh, I'm a I'm a huge capitalist. I I am I am the biggest proponent of capitalism there is, but I think we need to you know we need to protect ourselves sometimes from overzealous capitalism. So explain why franchise explain the regulation of franchises, how it works, not you know, not in detail but generally, and then explain why we have that level of regulation. Awesome. So in, um, let's see, I don't know, in the 50s and 60s, uh, maybe 70s even, there were a lot of um, sort of like traveling salespeople who would go around and they would go to different communities and they would talk about, you know, have like a night at the library or a night at the community center. And a lot of people would come, you know, they would make it seem like, oh, this is going to be a great thing. Learn about this new restaurant. You know, they they would um, basically get people really fired up to open the next location. And this is before there were any regulations, okay, of franchising. And they would get people fired up, you know, and people would, you know, basically be so carried away um, that they would do it, right? They would they would invest right on the spot. And um, that was, and then and then the people who had um, 
you know, been organizing this, they would bring with them kind of people that we would nowadays call shills, right? If you're not familiar with that term, it's basically where, you know, you're, you're stocking your own pond with people in the audience who are saying, yeah, that is the greatest. I tried it when I was, you know, when I was in Boston, you know, with my family visiting my cousin, you know, that was great. Or, you know, I loved it. Okay. But those, those people, they aren't telling the truth. They weren't telling the truth. They were just paid actors, basically, you know, saying things. But no one knew. And it was before the age of the internet and social media where you could at least try easily to verify any of these claims. Um, and so there were a lot of people who got taken advantage of because what would happen is that they would write the check and expect, you know, to get all this assistance and the brand and this great, you know, product. And those people would just disappear into the night. So, so franchise regulation was born, and now franchises are regulated, correct me if I'm wrong, on a state-by-state basis, right? So they're regulated, yes, on a state-by-state basis, but also on a federal basis, okay? And the federal basis is really there to tell us um, a lot about how to prepare the, the disclosure document, the sales document, okay, that is very similar um, to a prospectus. If you've ever heard that word in the securities context of buying stock, um, it's the franchise laws are modeled after the securities laws to encourage franchisors to disclose everything. Okay, you know whatever it is, (laughs) the the it's sort of a a truth will set you free kind of mentality. Um, If you disclose it, you're golden. If you didn't disclose it. Uh, then we start to have concerns. So give folks a, a sense for the level of disclosure that's required. Because I remember uh, when m- my wife and I invested in a franchise years ago, and like e- even if one of the founders in their personal history had a bankruptcy, that has to be disclosed. So explain to folks like the level of detail in those disclosure documents mm-hmm. that's required. Right. So that's a good one to point out. So yeah, there is a required background disclosure for the people who have management responsibility for either selling you the franchise or for operational you know, support while you are a franchisee. And that includes both their business background as well as if they had any bankruptcies, if they're you know, being sued left and right. Um, and then it includes a lot of discussion about all the different kinds of fees. Okay, And in, in the past... You know, it used to be fees that, um, you know, were being charged currently, right? You know, like, okay, there's a royalty fee, which is basically a a monthly or weekly charge to use the brand, okay? Um, Now, because there's so many more types of technology that are involved in businesses, frequently we see technology fees, you know, we're seeing fees, we're seeing things being disclosed where, and I do this too for my clients, you know, like we, we basically have placeholders where we say, well... You know, the fee right now is only like $50 a month, but it could go up to, you know, 400 because the way that technology has evolved in so many businesses is that eventually, you know, they won't be popular or cutting edge without it. And so we have to hold that place because our contracts are easily 5, 10, sometimes 20 years. And they're, we have to disclose up front. And so it becomes a very long document. Um, and we want to make it so that it's still hopefully somewhat readable, right? That's the goal. Um, but it, it is very comprehensive, like you're alluding to. All right. So uh, so I'm Dave Lorenzo, and I have Dave's Dry Cleaners. 
and I have a great brand, you know, logo, signage. Uh, I have, and, and all of that is, all my intellectual property is already protected. And then I have a business process, let's say, uh, from a customer service standpoint, right? Because dry cleaning is dry cleaning. But I have a customer service process that I have, you know, uh, I, that I use to teach my employees. I create standard operating procedures and all that stuff. And I come to you and I say, I want to, I want to franchise Dave's dry cleaners. Is, is that now, so my business method, my, my standard operating procedures, my brand, the logos, all my IP, all that kind of goes into the mix, right? What else do we, what else does, do people usually put into the mix when they're, when they're franchising a business and they, they want to, you know, they want to sell a business in a box to somebody else. What else do they usually put in there? Right. So they're going to need to have a pretty good estimate of what the initial investment is going to be for a franchisee. Um, And sometimes, you know, especially nowadays, right, with the inflation, with everything being more expensive, um, that can be a little challenging, right? If they opened their business, you know, five or 10 years ago, and it's been successful, um, it may almost be shocking to them how much it would cost today (laughs) to do exactly what they're doing. Um, So that's really important is trying to get a good range that a franchisee can rely on. Um, they also want to be looking at uh, potentially, not it's not required, but potentially doing what's known as a, a financial performance representation, okay, or an earnings claim. Because in the franchise world, you're not allowed to talk about what the sales are, what the profit is, what all the numbers are, right, um, to a franchisee prospect, unless you put it in writing in the franchise disclosure document, the FTD. So um, most new franchisors especially will want to put something like that in there, okay? Um, We usually encourage them to keep it pretty high level, like at the gross sales, because everybody's expenses can vary, right? You know, how much somebody's paying for labor in Florida, like in a big city, versus how much they're paying in Indianapolis, those are probably not going to be the same, right? Um, Some costs may be. But otherwise, gross sales is usually a much more reliable figure. And what what can I mandate? What can I make my franchise my franchisees do? So, like you know, for example, in McDonald's, if the franchisee doesn't make the burger exactly the way they say to make the burger, they can you know they can punch their ticket. They can or whatever. I'm sure there's a disciplinary <laughs> process. There's a progressive discipline process or whatever. But what can I make my my franchisees do or not do? Yeah. Um, that's a, uh, almost anything, (laughs) right? So we, we obviously have, um, a lot of controls in place and ability to put controls in place because we are really trying to protect that brand reputation. Um, so you can set, for example, minimum hours, minimum days of operation. You can mandate that they only sell things that the franchisor has pre-approved, Okay. Um, you can mandate that they not sell anything that hasn't been pre-approved. Um, sometimes we joke that, you know, the, the best entrepreneurs are the worst franchisees because they always want to be coming up with something new and their brains just never stop, which is really cool. But when you're in a you know, contract that requires you not to be the one coming up with all the new things, <laughs> that can be challenging. Um, so, you know, really... The sky's the limit, you know, what? because you really want them to be doing exactly what you do. Um, if you come up with some new portion of the business, like, you know, if you think about, uh, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago or more, 
you know, coffee wasn't as dominant as a beverage. You know, there weren't all these cool coffee drinks. It was just sort of you went in somewhere and you got a cup of coffee and, and you know, went on with your life. Um, now, okay, there's whole coffee programs, right? Um, you know, it, it used to be, you know, you went, if you went to Dunkin' Donuts or something, you know, 20 years ago, like, you know, whatever, you, you there was just coffee. It was regular and there was decaf, okay? And they had donuts, obviously, right? Now, it's like a whole, whole part, you know, it's like a whole area of the store. You know, there's a equipment requirements, you know, inventory requirements. So that is something that evolves during the term of the relationship. And we really work hard to make sure that our documents allow the franchisor to continue to evolve because we want that. So, um, you know, we try to stay out of anything uh, with our franchise. You know, we encourage our franchisors to stay out of regulating the franchisee's employment relationship. Um, we don't want to be requiring anything related to the employees. But, you know, basically as far as we would go there is to say that they have to wear uniforms. Yeah. And you can create a list of approved vendors and you, can mm-hmm. you mandate that they buy from one of your approved vendors? You definitely can. And for a lot of systems, that's really important to maintain, um, you know, the kind of food uh, or, you know, whatever supply quality that is important, right? You know, if you go into a massage business and you as a customer, you know, you love that they have a certain, you know, scented lotion, that you can always get there. You can always have it used. And if that franchisee is not buying from the supplier that offers that, you're not going to get it and you're going to be dissatisfied. Yeah. So having those those approved or designated required vendors um, is very important for the quality controls. Is there, uh, is there any law or regulation? I, I don't know the answer to this. That's exactly why I'm asking the question. Is there any regulation that says that those vendors can't pay the franchisor to be an approved vendor. Can can the vent can the franchisor charge an approved vendor fee and then go out to the franchisees and say this is an approved vendor and and if they can do they have to disclose it or can they just keep it you know a secret <laughs> right so again this is you know truth will set you free so in the franchise disclosure document um, every year that gets updated then there is a disclosure about money that the franchisor has received from any vendors related to franchisee purchases or leases, you know, if it's equipment, et cetera. Um, And so they they definitely can receive money from different vendors. Um, I don't know how common it is that they would go out and say, you know, pay me to be part of our franchise system. Um, But I think it is very common that they would receive something, uh, like some portion of whatever the franchisees are paying to buy those purchases. Um, Sometimes we hear about that where it feels like, you know, especially in some food franchises that, you know, you're paying um, more in like the markup, you know, that goes back to the franchisors more than what they would have paid as their royalty, um, which is interesting. You know, you have to be careful with that, that at least you're okay with it, right? When you buy into the system. So let's talk about doing business in more than one state. So I, I come to you in, in Colorado or I come to you in Illinois and Dave's Dry Cleaner is doing great and you've helped me, you know, we're in now, we, we just opened a location in Naperville and, you know, we're, uh, we're, opening, we're opening locations all over the place and somebody comes to me in Wisconsin. And they say, when I was on vacation, uh, I, I, I got my dry cleaning done at your dry cleaners and I want to I wanna bring Dave's Dry Cleaners to Green Bay, Right. 
Um, all right, so this is a different state now. So I go to you and I go, hey, Laura, we want to we want to do a franchise in Green Bay. Um, I better make sure that I can sell other franchises in Wisconsin, right? Because we don't we have to go through the entire process in, in a separate state? Yeah, absolutely. So we do work really closely with our clients. You know, we prepare the initial franchise disclosure document, right, which is the sales document. But but depending on where the franchise prospect is going to either open the business or where they live, um, there are state-by-state regulations that are going to require before you can really communicate with them, okay? You know, you can say, hi, thanks for your inquiry. We'll get back to you. But beyond that kind of superficial level, you are going to have to do filings, right? So Wisconsin is a pretty easy one, actually. Um, they just require a filing and, you know, within, a, I don't know, less than a week, it'll, you'll be effective. You can proceed, you know, do whatever to give out your FDD to that candidate in Green Bay. But, you know, if, for example, like if you wanted to, I don't know, let's let's change up the, the scenario. Yeah, I'm sure California is difficult. Let's say I wanted to go to California. California <laughs> I'm sure California everything's difficult in more... California. Yeah, I'm sure it's hard. Yeah, California is a more rigorous uh, process, shall we say. I won't say difficult necessarily, um, but they do have a more intensive process that will not take, you know, like less than a week. Instead, it's going to probably take a couple months um, to get through. And that's the same case actually here in Illinois. And in most large market states, um, you know, New York, Virginia, Illinois, California, Minnesota, um, and others, Washington, um, you know, basically, if you, these are consumer protection oriented laws, okay, going back to what we talked about earlier, where there were these, you know, very shady people trying to sell franchises, um, states enacted laws to protect their residents. And so in those states where we have a, a bigger process, a longer process, Somebody from the state actually reads the full franchise disclosure document and they will come back to us with comments like, we don't think this is clear enough. And, you know, what is this really trying to say? Um, and, and usually because, you know, we do practice in this area, we don't get like tons and tons of comments the way that, you know, if, if somebody is like moonlighting, you know, maybe they're not a franchise attorney, but they took a, a franchise, you know, whatever, they're probably going to get like a lot of comments. <laughs> um but, you know, there will always be something, right? You know, sometimes people joke that it's it's just to justify their existence at the state level. But it is, it is you know, theoretically coming from that consumer protection um, perspective that they want to know what's going on in their state. All right. For those of you who are interested, you can reach out to Laura. Laura Liss is a franchise attorney. You can reach out to her at 630-571-1645, 630 630- Five seven one sixteen forty five. So, Laura, we're um, we're approaching it from the side of the franchisor, right? So, they probably one of the things they should probably do, and most people I think get into this by accident. But if they're strategic, they should probably come and sit down with you first and say, "Okay, Laura, let's pick the most difficult state and let's get let's get you know let's get approved in that state first. Right. And then get two or three or four franchises going there. And then, you know, we can always go to the easy states later. Is, is that what you would advise a client to do? Man, that's a that's an interesting approach. So um, a lot of it's going to depend first on where the client is coming from. So with us, our office, our main office is here in the Chicago area. So a lot of our clients are coming from the Midwest. OK, um, if they are in Illinois in particular, by Illinois law, they have to register with Illinois first before they can sell 
anywhere. Uh, you know, if, even if candidate is out of Illinois, they need to register here first. Um, I do have candidate, you know, I do have clients where they're franchising, you know, maybe they're coming from another state, right? I have a client right now who is based in Montana. Montana does not have any franchise laws, as I'm sure it surprises no one. Um, because well, the, the three the three people who would have written them were on vacation in like Florida, so <laughs> <laughs> no, Florida doesn't have a lot of people. There. Forget about franchise laws; they don't have a lot of they no people, no laws. Well, I meant that they're just. I meant that they're very business friendly <laughs> oh, in Montana. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean there are, there is fewer people. You're correct about that as well. But but you know from their perspective, or Colorado, Colorado doesn't have any. You know they have a very decent sized population. They have no franchise laws. Um, so when I work with clients there, you know, most clients, um, they don't necessarily want to just go register in the hardest state because it's expensive and it adds time, right? You know, registering in a, in a challenging state um, is going to add, you know, potentially, you know, it, it costs maybe four or $5,000, right? And so, you know, if they can put that off, right, you know, like, okay, well, like, we don't need to hang out with Californians right now. We can wait, uh, until maybe we're bigger, until we know that it's really worth it to sell there, then they will. Um, you know, they'll focus on selling. Typically, you know, the most common path, uh, they'll focus on selling kind of in like concentric circles around where their initial locations are. So if they have, you know, a few locations like of Dave's Dry Cleaners, you know, if Dave's Dry Cleaners is, is based in Illinois, you know, it would make sense for them to continue selling kind of throughout the Illinois region and potentially register in Wisconsin, Indiana, Michigan, you know, places where people will have had the opportunity to likely already encounter the brand if they had come into Illinois. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about um, territories, territorial exclusivity. Um, you know, what you, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Is, is territorial exclusivity a requirement of a franchise? <sighs> Such good questions. Um, so from a franchisee and franchisor standpoint, exclusivity or territory rights in general are one of probably the biggest decisions that a franchisor can make because, again, these are very long-term contracts, and so it's it's very much locked in. Unlike the vendors where we could say, oh, now we have a coffee program, right? We need you to do that. You were really not going to be changing the territory um, for the, the 10 years or whatever it is. So... I would say that no, you don't need to have an exclusive territory. Um, the you know legally, what is an exclusive territory? Okay, is um, it's hard actually to do that because if you wanted to still reserve the right to sell somewhat directly, you know, like on the internet, for example, you know, if um, I don't know, you know, whatever, maybe you sold some version of your product or you, if you were a food restaurant and you also sold, you know, your pizzas frozen, okay, um, it's, it's very challenging that you would technically qualify as an exclusive, right, territory. Um, and so for most concepts, they're not going to claim that you get an exclusive territory anyway. What they, what a lot of concepts will offer is that they will say, you know, that within a certain area, you know, it could be a circle it could be, you know, a, a radius that's easy to map. It could be a kind of bubble. You know, it could be zip codes. Um, there's a lot of different ways to break that down. But ultimately, you know, what they usually will offer is that they're not going to put another physical store within whatever that bubble or zip codes are, um, assuming that you are in compliance with your franchise agreement, 
okay? <laughs> if, you, if you stop being a team player, um, they usually will reserve the right that they no longer have to honor your territory protections. Okay, let's talk about pricing. Can mm-hmm. a franchisor uh, regulate what a franchisee charges to the end user, to the end customer? So yes and no. Um, yes, they could, right? You know, we see a lot of promotions. Um, it is something where, you know, commonly, you know, like McDonald's has a $2 menu, right? You know, we've all probably heard of that. Um, you know, the dollar for coffee, whatever it is. And, you know, it is in the franchisee's best interest to sort of go along with whatever the menu is that's being promoted. Um, frequently, those are going to be, you know, loss leaders, from a business perspective, they aren't necessarily the the big money maker, you know, like a dollar coffee. Maybe that still works out because coffee is relatively inexpensive. But um, other things, you know, the, the franchisees have an interest in doing it. But from a legal perspective, trying to really force the franchisees to do it, to follow it, um, to set mandatory pricing can create... Uh, what are known as antitrust issues, okay? Um, this is not law school. We will not go through what all of antitrust is. But suffice it to say that we um, do not really force franchisees to do that, but it, it is in everyone's best interest. Um, and legally, I mean, I have had, you know, when I was in Denver and I was practicing out there, we had, um, I'll give you an example, okay? We had a, fir- we had a, a concept that had come out very popular here in Illinois, okay? And then the owners in Colorado were originally from Illinois. So they were like, you know, oh, we miss it. You know, we're going to do it out there. Great. But it was very expensive to get supplies because the supplier was a Midwest-based supplier. And so every time they had to order, it cost like two or three times as much to get certain things as it did for the other franchisees that were all based in the Midwest, Okay, so that's also something to look out for is that if you're going to be in a geographic kind of outlier location, your costs are most likely going to be much higher if you have to buy mandatory purchases. Okay, but they didn't really know that and it was disclosed, but they didn't really understand the impact that it would have on their business. And so they didn't want to follow the pricing, right? They didn't want to follow the special like $4, $6 combo menus. Okay, to the point that they just stopped doing it. Like they took them off, you know, they took them off their menu boards. Like, nope, 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 that's not an option. Uh, And they eventually did, you know, get into a litigation matter with the franchisor. uh, And the franchisor, you know, franchisor won, um, that they were not following the system. They were not um, basically doing the business the way that they were supposed to. So it's not always going to be that way. There's always little, you know, quirks. But it's not a good idea to get into something where you can't, you know, you don't agree with the pricing as a franchisee, right? Like, if the pricing doesn't work for you, then don't buy into that system. All right. So, Laura, explain the difference now uh, to, to the folks who are listening and to me. Explain the difference between franchising and licensing, Right, because you can you can license intellectual property. You can you can uh, license your your logo and all that stuff. Um, and a lot of people confuse the two terms, but they're very very different things. So explain the difference between franchising and licensing to us. For sure. So licensing um, is kind of you know it's it's the core of what's in a franchise. A franchise is kind of like a more advanced version of a license. Okay. 
So licensing says, you know, I own this intellectual property. I own my name, you know, my brand name, like Dave's Dry Cleaners. I own the proprietary methods. Um, and all of that, you know, if you were going to license just like one piece of it, like maybe you were going to license just the methods. Okay. Maybe. Maybe then, you know, that might not qualify, you know. Or if you were going to say that you were going to license, I don't know, whatever the... Um, you know, the special solution is that the dry cleaning, you know, product uses to actually do the cleaning, right? And you were going to white label that and you were going to sell it to or make it available for purchase to other dry cleaners. Cool. That's a great example of a license, okay? What's, what happens is that when you start doing the brand and the, you know, product or services and you're telling them how to do it and you're getting paid, again, we have that franchise definition coming in uh, and it's very challenging to avoid, right, being a franchise legally when you've qualified for those things. Because what otherwise what happens is if you aren't telling them how to do it, you're like, no, no, I'm just going to let them use my name. And they're going to pay me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock out that middle part. And it's like, well, then you have what's known as like a naked license, right? And it's not sexy naked, okay? It's just naked in a bad way, like you standing there with no clothes on because you're not protecting your trademark. You're not protecting your IP at that point. It's just like out there. And if that person starts using it in a way that isn't what you intended, you don't have ways to stop them. Yeah. So I, you know, one of the, one of the things that we, I think, and now I'm thinking back to business school, I think one of the examples, two of the examples they gave are uh, Tommy Hilfiger and Timberland. And, you know, Timberland boots were designed to, like, hike in the mountains and all that stuff. And then the next thing you know, like, gangs in L.A. were wearing Timberland boots, and they took on a a different type of, of meaning, and it was, you know, it was not what the brand had intended. Um, and Tommy Hilfiger went the other direction in that, um, you know, uh, urban, the urban youth market adopted Tommy Hilfiger. Originally it was designed to be like preppy and kind of snooty and Tommy Hilfiger went the other way and ran toward it and was like, yes, we want this, we want this market. So, so give us the bright line, Laura, draw the bright line for us in, look, franchise is here. Licensing is here. This makes sense for licensing. This makes sense for franchising. Sure. There isn't probably a perfect bright line. I'm not going to lie to you, okay? It's going to be a situation, situation, you know, look at everything kind of analysis. But, you know, I would say that licensing commonly makes more sense when you have products, okay? Like, you know, what you were describing there are boots. That's a physical product, shirts, shorts, those kind of things. When you're seeing more of a, you know, whole business, right? Like a franchise is usually a more, you know, it's a cohesive operation. It's not just like one item. Okay. Um, that's where there's usually more uh, leaning towards the franchise model. Mm-hmm. And, but, with, and with licensing, you can't, if I'm not mistaken, you, there's not a compliance tool from a, listen, you have to follow these methods rigidly. You could, you could license the Dave's dry cleaner logo and sell apples out the back door and Dave's dry cleaner is not going to come say anything because you just licensed the logo. You didn't license a business method, right? So that is very possible, right? Yeah. That if, if all you did was just say, yeah, you can use my trademark, you know, for whatever, um, most people probably wouldn't do that, right? You know, they're going to 
give a, you know, whatever to say, okay, don't, you know, don't misuse it. I developed this brand. I, I kind of, it matters to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's again, you know, the closer you get to having quality control, right, where you can say, do it this way, not that way, the more you're edging towards a franchise. Some states, um, there, because remember, this is state by state as well as federal, okay? In some states, they don't even care if you have the brand. There's a few of these. Um, not a lot, but a few. It's not so much about if you license the brand. It's if you're licensing, like, the marketing program and the, the middle piece about kind of, like, telling them how to do it or how not to do it um, and getting paid. So, again, you know, it is something where if you're really thinking about how do I expand this, um, you know, and there's... Other things we could talk about that we probably don't have time for, like business opportunities, which you're like, okay, well, that sounds like an extremely generic phrase. What does she mean by that? Um, and legally, those are another regulated form of business. They're like your typically your smaller businesses, like vending machines and um, doing things like, you know, selling Mary Kay cosmetics. But those are regulated as well because, again, there's been a lot of people who have been taken advantage. And so states have come in and said, don't take advantage of our residents. We're going to regulate you. Yeah, no, that's uh, it, I, that's a great that's a great example, especially some of the um, multi-level marketing opportunities and that sort of thing. There's intense regulation, and there and there absolutely should be. Those of you who are listening, if you want to reach out to Laura Liss, she's a franchise attorney. You can call her at six three zero. 571-1645, 630-571-1645. Her uh, website and her email address is down in the show notes below the interview as well. All right, Laura, uh, so before before we finish today, give us some advice on if we're if we're thinking of thinking of buying a franchise, right? We've had I've had some I've had franchise brokers on the show and you know they always they always have good advice, but your perspective as an attorney who advises people, right? What should we be looking for? From a franchise perspective, from a franchisee perspective, when we're going to buy a franchise, what is what are some of the really big things we need to make sure we're on top of? Okay, first one is not so much a legal one, but I think it's probably the most important. Is that they have the franchisee candidate has to love, love the marketing. Okay, they have to love what's being sold because if you don't love it, what's going to happen is that all these little fees and little ways that they tell you how to do it or not do it, you're just going to get annoyed and it's going to become very contentious. Okay. The other risk is that if you don't love the marketing, you will end up as a franchisee sort of being like, well, I'm going to create this and you know, I'm going to spend money with my own marketing person to do it. And yes, you can do that. There is a way in every franchise that, you know, your own marketing can get approved for you to use it. Fine. But it's frankly, like, what, what are you paying for them? <laughs> like, why did you just pay them, you know, a, a 6% royalty and a, and a 2% ad fund fee, you know, off of your gross to make marketing materials basically for you to use when you had to turn around and do that? So I really encourage franchisees not to buy into systems unless they absolutely love the marketing. Um, you know, and most candidates, by the time they come to me, they, they are with me because they do love it. And I'm doing the legal check through to make sure that it, it is what they think it is. Um, for other, for other things, I think it's really important to have common sense when they're thinking about the initial investment, right? There's things in there that, you know, like I've seen concepts where like the whole concept is very delivery oriented, 
And then in the initial investment, there's nothing in there about a vehicle. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, okay. And then, you know, if you kind of, if they push on it with the franchisor, they're like, oh, well, you can just use your own vehicle. And it's like, yeah, but you wanted me to like have it be, you know, wrapped with marketing and it's not going to be like my vehicle that I go like pick my kids up at school in or whatever. <laughs> um, so it's, it's not, um, it's, sometimes there are things that are just, you know, not really computing well that way. And I think that, you know, they, they have to kind of know what they really want, right? Do they, do they really want to be a, a owner operator who's in the, in the store, whatever business that is? Or do they see themselves as someone who is managing, you know, a team, you know, and they have three locations, five locations. Um, and it's okay if they start out with one. That's perfectly fine. You know, grow into it, whatever. But they have to know what they really want. That's important. Great. I think that's, I think that's great advice. Okay, Laura, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you now. I'm going uh, to give you a minute to think about three things we should take away from our time together today. So yeah, I'll give you a minute to think of the three things we should take away from, uh, from this great session on franchising. While you're thinking about that, I want to remind people that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. So you heard earlier in the show, we, played a, we took a quick break and we played a Sandrowski uh, Business Minute for you. You can reach out to Sandrowski Corporate Corporate Advisors if you need to, and the phone number you can use to contact them is 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. For all of your accounting needs, Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. So, You've heard me on the show before talk about the need for a system for uh, growing your business. If you use relationships or you use some sort of content-based business development strategy, you need to have a plan for how you're going to implement those things. And I've got a plan that I can share with you for free. This is the same plan I use with my clients. I customize it for them. You can customize it for your business. Here's how you can get your copy of the Revenue Roadmap. Just go to this website, revenueroadmapguide.com, revenueroadmapguide.com. Enter your contact info. You can download that plan and customize it for your business. It's my gift to you for listening and for watching the show. My guest today is Laura Liss. She's a franchise attorney. If you want to reach out to her, you can call her at 630-571-1645, 671-1645. Her email address and her website are down in the show notes as well. Okay, Laura, what are the three things we should take away from this great session on franchising? Okay, thanks, Dave. So first is that there are probably a lot more regulations out there than anybody who already has a business knows when it comes to actually how to expand that business, right? Um, it is well worth talking to myself, another franchise lawyer, whomever, someone who's going to say, hey, you know, this is a yellow flag. You need to actually consider, you know, what path you're taking and make a conscientious decision. Okay. Um, second is that whether they are ready to franchise or become a distributorship or whatever model, please protect your trademarks. Please do trademark filings. I don't know if you've had someone on here who talks a lot about trademarks. We didn't have a chance to really go into that. But they are the core, okay, of what people, consumers know about your business, right? They know where your brand, you know, they know what you sell. They know that your, you know, your restaurant or your whatever business is on that corner, okay? Protect your brand. Do a trademark filing. It's like a grand or two. Like, just do it. (laughs) 
Okay. Um, third is, I think, you know, as you're growing, it's just to try to remember, you know, remember what it's like to be a completely new novice person in the business. Because when you're thinking about a franchisee, that's where they are. They don't know anything typically about what the business is going to be like. And so you are coaching them and you have to want to be a coach, right? You have to want that. You have to like educating. You have to like, you know, training. Um, if, it, if it's not something that you enjoy, you enjoy doing whatever the thing is that your business offers, then it may not be the right fit for you to do expansion through this model because there's always going to be a lot of coaching, a lot of training. Um, so those are my three things that I thought of and hopefully those help your audience. Oh man, those, those are great, especially that last one. Folks, I can't stress that enough to you. Um, if you go to any um, business expo or a franchise show, you need to ask about the training and the ongoing support. It's so important. And for, for my personal preference, I would invest, I would rather invest in a, a concept that was not a, a 100% fit, maybe a 90% fit that had outstanding training and support rather than the 100% fit that, you know, they're just going to give you the manual and say, well, best of luck to you. Let's see how it goes. Um, that is that is such a great point, Laura. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for sharing your expertise with us. Laura List can be reached at 630-571-1645, 630-571-1645. We just touched on the surface here of all of the things that Laura can do for you and for your business. If you're thinking about growing, franchising could be an excellent opportunity for you. I encourage you to reach out to Laura before you make that decision and have a consultation with her. And then when you're ready to go, she can help you plan your strategy and then you can execute on that strategy with her. Laura, it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for giving us all this valuable information today. Thanks so much for having me and I hope everyone enjoyed it. Alrighty, folks, that'll do it for another episode of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo. We'll be back here again tomorrow with another great interview for you. My guest today is Laura Liss. You can find all of her information down in the show notes. Until tomorrow, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.